guys, Jack here. Two extremely exciting announcements today. First and foremost, Zach and I are happy to announce our first live event on the West Coast. We're teaming up with Live at the Bike on Saturday, December 16th at the Bike in LA for a live League Finder event. Participants will play on the Live at the Bike set and get commentary from Zach, Live at the Bike's Ryan, and myself. Participants can choose between the premium package, which includes a seat in the game, a leak finder document, which includes an analysis of your strengths and weaknesses, setting specific hand examples, analysis of key hands, and a detailed improvement plan. The premium package also includes a 30-minute lesson from Zach and myself to go over the leak finder document. The nut package includes a seat in the game plus a premium leak finder document and a personal podcast. The premium leak finder document includes an analysis of participants' strengths and weaknesses, setting specific hand examples, a detailed analysis of all hands played, and a comprehensive improvement plan. The personal podcast includes at least 30 minutes of podcast-style discussion uh, by Zach and myself about key hands from the participant's perspective, and nut participants will also receive a 60-minute lesson to go over the leak finder document. The game will go from 1 to 5 p.m. and will be a 5-5 game with the typical bike buy-in structure. And to learn more about the event and to sign up, head to justhandspoker.com LATB or use the link in the show notes. One more announcement. Today, Zach and I are discussing a hand from the newest season of Poker After Dark. There have been some great episodes so far this season, and we're going to be releasing additional podcasts as premium podcasts where we discuss other hands from the season of Poker After Dark. Some of these are available now at our website, and all of our premium content is available for Just Hands members. To get these premium podcasts or to learn about becoming a member, head to JustHandsPoker.com. Sorry for the long announcements. We really appreciate you guys tuning in week after week. All right. Uh, thanks again, and enjoy this week's episode. Hey, Zach. Hello, Jack. All right. We're coming back at you with some more Poker After Dark content. Uh, this was one of my, I think, favorite hands. Maybe my favorite hand from the whole, the whole thing, since there was just so much like, sort of high level sexy play, <laughs> that I kind of thought was coming, and then they totally satisfied. Like, yeah, yeah, and then well, we'll just get into it. So this uh, this hand takes place between Brian Rast and Jungle Man. Jungle Man opens. I guess essentially under the gun because there's a straddle. Or is there a straddle at this point? No, it looks like there isn't. No, there's not, yeah. Yeah, so playing 300-600 with a $600 ante uh, paid by the big blind, I think. So Daniel is actually under the gun plus one and opens with ace-queen suited clubs. Brian Rast uh, calls on the button with pocket twos. Not much then to I, say pre-flop. Well, I, I think I, I cast incompletes, if I recall the hand correctly, as well. Um, so Daniel, Daniel Cates, yeah, he makes it 1,500, which has been kind of the standard sizing. I think almost everyone besides maybe Matt Berkey has been using. Uh, yeah. Looks like Ike Haxon doesn't complete, thinking of a different hand. So it's yeah. heads up to the flop, Cates and Rast. And the flop is, a, is an interesting flop for these two hands. Once you see, you know there's gonna be some fireworks. Yeah, so we get a uh, <laughs> such. I mean, like the flop you would have drawn up, like if you could. Yeah, if you uh, so yeah. Queen eight deuce 
uh, with the eight deuce of clubs. So Daniel flops top pair with a flush draw. Brian flops bottom set. Yeah. If you're Daniel, this is really a hand that can go either way. You have so much equity against Brian's range that like betting is for sure going to be very plus EV. It's just a question of, is this a hand that is worth including in a flop checking range just because it has, it's one of like your hands that basically fears no turn card. Like an eight is not great. A king is not great, but anything else is, you know, really fine. And we want to have some hands that can check and then call. My urge that you want to weigh in first. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that with this hand, I'm leaning more towards a check than a bet. Just because you're just blocking a lot of, you know, the the value hands you'd want to call. So you have a queen in your hand. So you're blocking combinations of, you know, worst top pairs. Uh, And then you have two clubs in your hands, which are combinations of flush draws that could call or raise, as well as, you know, hands maybe like ace, jack, offsuit with the ace of clubs that would surely call, you know, most bet sizings Daniel would use on this board for one bet. So I, I, I think I'm inclined to play this hand as a as a check call. Uh, but obviously it's going to be profitable to bet as well as check. And I would imagine that it's probably correct to do a mix of both, you know, where like maybe you're check calling most of the time and have like a few check raises and a few and a few bets. So I've, I've already stated that I think both options are at least good. But I'm going to disagree. I actually like betting this hand a lot for a few reasons. I don't think we're going to be betting so, so many of our nut flush draws here. A lot of our nut flush draws, I think, would rather play as a check call since they have a good amount of showdown value on this board. And they want to keep worse draws in. Or, I mean, it's not there's not much of a risk of folding out a worse draw. But I, I just think that a lot of our nut flush draws, I think, would prefer to play this pot as a check. We obviously, with most of those combos, we would be doing a combination of betting and checking. And, you know, that makes sense with a lot of hands. But with this hand, I think I would prefer to bet since even though we don't have a ton of value targets because we're blocking a queen, I think we have other queens that can check and just call, you know, some of our queen jacks, queen tens, especially like queen jack, queen ten of clubs. And I think I'd rather just go ahead and bet this hand. I also like having this hand to call a flop raise since a lot of our other queens, you know, getting raised is a pretty big negative. I think with ace queen of clubs, like getting raised by a set obviously sucks, but there's nothing we can ever do about like being up against a set. Uh, but that's a hand that doesn't mind getting raised since uh, it has really great implied odds when you hit the flush and it can still get called by plenty of its worse. So I would, I yeah, would I'm, I'm, I'm sold. I, I forgot that we're just going to have, you know, several other combos of queen X of clubs and there's just, yeah. If, if we're going to have to be betting a combo of queen X of clubs, the, the, the ace queen of clubs is the better combo to be betting. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think probably just amending what I said before, it's likely that in, a, in, you know, what an equilibrium strategy would show that this is should be a bet most of the time, but I, I still think it's important to to have this be 
a a check call some of the time. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, so, Daniel. So bets. Daniel does decide to bet. He bets fairly small. He bets fifteen hundred into forty five hundred. Let's take a moment to talk about the sizing. Uh, I think this makes sense since we almost kind of want to get raised. It's one of those rare hands that even though we don't have a ton of equity against like a value raising range on the flop, we have so much equity against any kind of bluffing range. There's plenty of bluffs that are basically drawing dead. Like Jack 10 of clubs is drawing like super thin against us, you know? So it's one of those hands that like we, we'd kind of like to get raised. So betting smaller, leaving our range less polarized, I think makes sense. It's also not a super coordinated board. So I I wouldn't think to bet pot in the first place. So I, I like this bet. Yeah. I don't have anything to add. Well said, Jack. Thank you. So I, I thought this was an interesting spot for Brian since there aren't a ton of, like there aren't a ton of value combos here. For sure, deuces, likely eights, and queen eight suited. Does that sound right? I mean, do you think Brian is calling queen eight suited pre-flop on the button? On the button? No. I definitely don't think so. I mean, both a combination of, I think, like, me thinking, okay, what should I do in that spot? And what, what would, like, a great player do? And then also just watching Brian. He, he played the tightest pre-flop of any of the players at the table. And I, I think I saw him, maybe not in this exact spot, but but fold hands where at first I'm like, oh, that seems like it can't be right folding that. But you know they are they are very deep, and maybe those were more from out of position or in the blinds. I, I would imagine that like queen nine is very likely a call here suited, and queen ten suited being a hundred percent a call. But when you have you know two blinds that are very capable of three betting, I, I think it might be a little bit too. Ex- you might be able to get exploited if you're calling queen eight suited here. This is also a hand that while you're in position, you know, has a lot of reverse implied odds. Yeah. Your straights aren't super duper valuable. Obviously good to make, but you almost have more reverse implied than odds than implied odds even when you make the straight, since King Queen is so often played. And yeah, so I, I agree. I, I think Queen Eight suited is probably a fold and is likely to be folded by Brian in this spot. So since we're, since we have such a thin range of value hands, I think it's reasonable to just flat everything. But I, I actually do like raising here just since we're so deep that like our only chance of like getting max value or our best chance of getting max value is to go ahead and raise here. I think. Uh, at least with some of our deuces, eights, and you know an appropriate amount of draws, since we'll have plenty of draws here. So let's just think about you know I, I definitely think with this exact hand we obviously would like to raise, but in terms of the case for just calling, because Brian did just call, right? No, I don't think so. I think Brian did raise. Oh, okay. Hold on, let's, uh, let's well, just check. I mean, there's no we're not we can spoil. Yeah. It. Hold on. Well, I was gonna say I was I, I'm gonna, in terms of the case for just flatting it's it just allows us to just you know, protect our calling range on a board that favors the under the gun plus one player. Yeah. I think if we were facing a larger bet, 
there would be more of a case to calling and just flatting with our entire range that we're going to continue with. But I think against such a small bet, it, it impedes our ability to get value with our best hands if we flat here. Mm-hmm. And we'll have so many hands that can call and call very profitably against this uh, really small bet that I don't think we need to be too worried about being a little bit capped. Especially, yeah, especially since or, or maybe most... this is just one of those things where it's, you know, we might sound like a broken record by the end of this, but when you're playing against a really good player and you're really deep, a lot of the decision points are probably look something like, you know, 80 to 95% of the time do X, but still have X in your, in your range, you know? Yeah, so absolutely. like probably raise, raise pocket twos the majority of the time, but protect your calling range in terms of like having the nuts have like having, being able to have quads when a two comes out X percentage of the time by, by flatting some of those combos. And these are things that, you know, I seldom think about in live games that I'm playing in, but that, you know, when you're playing in arguably one of the toughest lineups ever on, on television, you have to, you have to think about. <laughs> Another thing I'll just point out is like, we want to have some nutted hands on the turn or else we're susceptible to overbets. But I think many cards will give us some very strong hands that can call overbets. Like we'll have, you know, obviously a 10 or Jack 10 or nine or an eight, or a queen, there'll be plenty of hands in our range that like can comfortably call over bets. And I think even like a seven through a three, like I think Brian, based on what I've seen him, how I've seen him play, is pretty likely to call any any pocket pair in that range at least once. And yeah. so he'll have maybe like maybe those cards that's going to be tough for him to defend against an overbet, but. He'll have some nutted hands. Obviously, an ace or a king, it's going to be tough for Brian to have nutted hands, especially an ace. But, you know, that's just the nature of, like, being the preflop caller versus the preflop opener. Anyway, Brian does decide to raise. He raises to 6,500. So, Yeah, pot size raised. Daniel is choosing to, I guess, I think Daniel's decision here is pretty trivial. He's going to call. And he's calling five into what will become a pot of seventeen thousand five hundred. Do you agree that there's and, no not much case, if any, for raising here? Is Daniel? Tia, what would raising accomplish in this spot? I think Brian against a one third pot bet here is going to be, you know, choosing to raise some amount of his like worst flush draws and some gut shots, hands that are kind of too weak to maybe call. But, you know, would like to take the pot down now. And three betting gets all of these hands to fold. And then maybe there's some value hands that would fold to a three bet that now Daniel kind of blows away. So, yeah, you just you, – you get hands that were bluffing to just fold now. You also, like, put yourself in a pretty terrible spot to get four bet when you're this deep. You know, you have an amazing hand. But – like I don't know how you're doing against a Brian Rass four bet on this on this board, you know? Yeah, or a five bet jam, yeah. Um, well, Brian, sorry, Brian, sorry, sorry, four bet jam, yeah, yeah. We're probably a four bet jam. Like I don't know, actually, we're pretty deep. So Dan, we I don't know if we've said this. Daniel has, or at least the graphic says, 
and the graphics can be a little wrong, but I, I think they're right in this situation. The graphic says that Daniel has 144,000 at this point. So I guess started the hand with like 147,000. And so this raise was to 6,500. If Daniel raises here to like, you know, 18 or 20, somewhere between like 18 and 24,000, like. I think Brian has a four bit, four bidding range that isn't shoving. Maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I think Brian can like put a lot of pressure on by making like 50,000 and we'll still have like yeah. a, a meaningful barrel to go. So maybe it's not a four bet jam. But either way, you don't want to, like, neither of those scenarios are, you know, desirable. So, I guess, let's not spend too much time on this. I think this is a clear call, since we have just great equity against any bluffs, and we have really not good equity against made hands, and if we raise, we're just going to shift the amount of, you know, made hands, we're just going to increase the ratio of made hands to bluffs. And we're going to reduce our implied odds. So we should just call. Daniel does call. And the turn card is pretty interesting. It's interesting both for everyone's range and just like for their specific hands. The turn is the queen of spades. So the flush does not come in. No draws came in. And this is a really good card for Daniel's range. He just picked up equity against Brian's Brian's sets on the flop when he does have a queen since now he basically always has outs whereas there are, there are plenty of turn cards where Daniel would now be drawing dead against Brian's set with like ace queens king queens and, and those sorts of hands that would have probably continued uh, on the other hand Daniel's flush draw is now less valuable but the, I think the main thing is that Daniel just his whole range just gained equity and but he's still got a condensed range relative to Brian's more polarized range. So how do you, how do you proceed in this spot? What what are your thoughts, Zach? I mean, I think there's something to be said for Daniel having a donking range here, not just because he happened to pick up equity with his exact hand, but just because this card, you know, heavily favors his range. And I think if you're going to have a donking range here, uh, this hand pretty clearly belongs in it. Basically you allow, you, you, you end up instead of allowing him to, uh, Brian Rast to check back like worse flush draws hands that you have a lot of interest with this, your whole range as well as this exact hand on this turn card of getting more, more value from you also, and if anything, put, put Brian in a tough spot with some, with some very good hands. So let's say Daniel has like pocket Queens or pocket aces or there, there's just, there's a, there's, there's a lot of hands where Daniel can now three bet shove the turn after donking out kind of on the smaller side. So my first reaction is like, this is an interesting card to have maybe like a one quarter ish pot bet donk range. And I think this hand could belong in it. I also think there's a case for checking, but I, I want to maybe explore the case for, for donking out small here on a card that favors his range. Yeah. I also was thinking, like, when this card hit, and Dan took a little bit of time to make his decision, so I had some time to think about it. I also like leading out small, like something like a quarter pot. 
And basically, the situation is this. I, I think if you look at Daniel and Brian's equities like of their ranges on the flop and now on this turn card, I think Daniel has like a pretty significant equity advantage. The problem is Daniel can't just like take that equity advantage and shove because Brian can just continue with the hands that win and, you know, ditch the hands that lose and he's going to, you know, be printing money, obviously. So Mm -hmm. I think for Daniel, the way to exploit that sort of overall range equity advantage is just to make everything a little more expensive and basically say like, okay, I'm not making this bet because I expect like I'm betting a polarized range and I expect you to fold. I'm just acknowledging that like I have a really strong range here and you're probably going to have to check back a lot and I'm just going to make it more expensive for you to do that. And if you're going to raise a, you know, a polarized range that's probably balanced, it's going to be more expensive because I'm not going to be folding as much. And I have a lot of equity now uh, with basically all my queen X. So we're ju- it's just going to reflect that with what the size of the pot is going to become. So to, to summarize, like Daniel has the best hand most of the time, has a ton of equity, wants like more money to go in this pot. The problem is he just, he can't put a ton of money in the pot because then Brian's nutted hands you know, will win out. So I, I, I think the the middle ground here, which is appropriate, is to bet small. And I was hoping he would do that, and he did. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, it's been a while since I saw this hand. I kind of forgot. So he bets nice very one. small. Uh-huh. He bets 3500 into a little over 17000 So even slightly less than a quarter pot. Yeah, like about one-fifth like pot. pot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like it. Yeah. Way to go. Way to go, uh, Jungle Man. You got you got our approval. And I think this is pretty trivial for Brian. I think... Well, it's not trivial. But I do think Brian should be doing some value raising here. Yeah. So, spoiler alert, just before we get into it, Brian just flats and just looks like a total boss. In my humble opinion. Yeah. Well, let, let, let's forget about the exact holdings. Let's, let's, let's I don't know talk if he about... Looks like, I don't know if he looks like a boss. Do you think he looks like a boss? No, I just meant kind of in, you know, in the fact that like... Oh, oh, sorry. I was confusing. I was, I was alluding to something that happened on the river. Never mind. No, he looks like the opposite of a boss. Because there's a hand that will call that bet, that raise, and he decides not to make that raise. Yeah. So <laughs> sorry. So I think we should take take a moment to acknowledge that Daniel does have at least some hands that beat Brian. Like it's not inconceivable that Daniel would just flat eights. Daniel has one combination of queens. I think Daniel could have queen eight suited. I don't think Daniel has full combos of any of these. I think he maybe has less than like one combo of each. But if Brian bets or raises here and Daniel shoves, like I don't think Brian is like psyched. So there's that. And obviously like when when Brian's beat, he's drawing one out. So there's that. But I I, I think Brian should be raising here. Cause he still has a polarized range. 
You can still put Daniel's Queen X, which the vast majority of Daniel's range here is likely some kind of Queen X. There'll be some yeah. other draws, but if Brian can get, you know, basically any, any hand Brian can get to fold when he has a draw is great. And there's just a ton of value. There's a ton of clear value targets. And even for Brian, like getting a queen to fold is not what you want, but any queen that folds had equity. So it's not like you're, it's not like you're going to get very many, many hands to fold that we're drawing dead. And maybe Brian can choose a sizing here that kind of like one ensures a queen won't fold and two like allows him to like semi bluff, semi bluff profitably here, you know? So like Daniel, Daniel's betting very small here. If Brian were to make it just like 15,000, like between maybe like 14, 17,000 around a pot size raise, like do you think is Daniel really going to be folding any queen X here? That he has from under the gun plus one? No, I don't think so. Yeah, so that that allows then Brian to both like get value when he has his full houses, you know, twos full of queens and eights full of queens, and also allows him to then choose some of those, you know, better flush draws that he decided to, you know, raise with on the flop or maybe combo draws and then have a profitable semi bluff here. So I yeah, thinking about it more, the fact that you know, we're in agreement that this is the second best possible hand Brian can have in this spot, given the action. So I think, you know, I think if you're not raising for value here with your second best possible hand, with all this money behind, you're probably just leaving a little bit of money on the table. Because, you know, then what are you only raising with pocket eights? Or are you are you never raising this bet? Like, it, it seems like it can't be correct to never raise this bet, even if that turn card favors Jungle Man's range. Yeah. Also, like... Are we assuming Daniel's going to be betting very often on the river? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Because at that point, I'm not. I'm not sure. Like, this is like a sure way to get like a huge check raise in, or not? Sorry, a huge raise in on the river. So yeah, this might just be like Daniel checks a lot of his queens and then makes a bluff catching decision on the river after we make like you know a reasonable sized bet. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we flat, I guess the one thing I would disagree with you about is what sizing I would raise to here with as Brian. Mm-hmm. I would probably make it bigger since Brian's still raising a polarized range, and I think a key to raising that range would be to try and put some pressure on Daniel's queens and set okay. up sort of like an all-in decision, since. You know, with with Brian's bluffs, like if he's in a position to get some queens to fold by the river, or you don't think he's in that. You don't think he's in in that position with my sizing, though. Like, let's say he were to make it fifteen thousand, Daniel will the call. Now you have thirty-seven thousand in the pot, and like three and a half x pot behind. Like, I think you you're still in that spot on the river where it's bluff catcher versus polarized range, and you know, I think Brian on a blank river couldn't get him to fold uh, most Queens for like an overbet and maybe some or many Queens for a, a similar sized pot size bet on the river. Yeah, maybe, but there are, the problem is, I think the problem is like, this is a really good point in the hand for twos. 
And there are a lot of river cards that change the situation. Like an ace, king, jack, or even a ten. Maybe even a nine. Like, if we're keeping in all of... Like, Daniel could very easily, like, on many river cards, himself bet a polarized range. Okay. If we can get more money in on the turn when we almost certainly have the best hand with deuces, I think that's better. So I would, I guess all I'm saying is like right now, I think we're going to be our most confident that we have the best hand. There are many outcomes where we won't be as confident. Like also an eight is a pretty disastrous card for us. So I would, I would put in the raise now and put in as much of the money as possible and that's going to allow us to bluff more. And if Daniel folds some of his queens, like, so be it. Like, our bluffs are going to take advantage of that. But we're not... We're, the point is, like, very often on the river, we're not going to get that opportunity to put in a huge bet. Uh, why, why, is, why is that? Because Daniel will have nutted hands. Mm-hmm. And we can't put in a huge bet because one, our bluffs are going to be less successful since like some of those hands will become trivial, like shoves. And also we're, we're going to get put into a really bad spot with hands like deuces and eights. Whereas in the, at this point in the hand, like Daniel's pretty handcuffed with his, all of his queen X. Okay. I can, I can get behind it. I so still I feel like so, I'd, I, I'd, I, I, th- I still think I'd want to do a little more like, you know, like study thinking about this hand before I, we're to feel really confident either way, but we both agree this is a spot of, you know, Brian has a polarized range and he needs to be, you know, betting on the larger side here. Yeah. So I, I you threw out a sizing of 15,000 and to me, that's too small. Mm-hmm. I would prefer okay. something like 25,000. Okay. Well, it would be really fun to get Brian or jungle man on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, if you know, if you're listening to this and you know Brian Rast or Daniel Junkleman Cates, give them a shout for us, and uh, we yeah, happily I, go through this again. I feel like Brian Rast, I imagine, would be much more likely to come on the podcast, just from you know what I've observed about their personalities. <laughs> but you know, obviously, we'd we'd love to have both of them. Yeah. So. A lot of you have probably seen the hand already, but if you haven't, the river card is what you would have hoped, an ace. Oh! <laughs> so, and, to reiterate, on the river, Daniel's flopped top pair turned into the nuts. The unbeatable, well, Brian Rask could chop, but... Yeah. Yeah. Hand can't lose now, and... You know, Brian Rass flop set looks like he's going to be in a world of pain. I mean, it'd be pretty sick. Like, <laughs> I don't. It's not impossible. I would say, like, for Brian to show up here with aces, but it's like, yeah. It's I think really definitely this, in this lineup, like, also like, there's all, only one combo of aces for him to even show up with in the first place. Exactly. So it, it's going to be like maximum, like one, like, one, like sixth maximum of a combo in this well spot. i think even like maybe he flats on the button with aces like against jungle man like 10 percent of the time or less like five percent of the time two percent of the time 
but I'm, okay. I'm just saying like it's it's negligible so obviously daniel yeah. is like wants to get his stack in i just think it's kind of funny it would be fun if like we could be in like the one like yeah sorry jungle's hand is not unbeatable it's yeah. not unbeatable. and it's it's i'm just saying it's not inconceivable that brian could show up here with aces but like it's it's certainly negligible in daniel's calculation calculation with the, their stack sizes so so in this spot, I wasn't thinking that Daniel should bet small again. So I don't, you know, I'm sort of spoiling it. Like Daniel decides to bet out 7,000. And to me, this is an exploit. Like, <laughs> and the reason I say that is like, so Daniel if Daniel had a different ace-queen combo that didn't have the ace of clubs, this bet could make a little more sense because now you have like an additional value target of like ace-x that might call the 7,000 and would have checked behind uh, and wouldn't have called a larger bet. But I think like if we're going to bet here, and I, I do think we should bet with our ace-queen, like I'm not expecting like deuces or eights to like raise that often because we obviously have like so much ace queen so yeah i would just go ahead and like i don't know if you can rip it because you probably have too much ace queen to rip it but i would just go ahead and like bet pot and go ahead and bet pot with like basically any unpaired hand we have at this point which i think there are some yeah I, well, I would, that, that, that's a big statement uh well you, i as I mean, like, if, if we're going to be totally unbalanced, sure. Yeah, that, you're right. Yeah. That's that's too many combos. So, no, I would not I would not choose every... We also have aces here, though, you know? Mm-hmm, yeah. So, Daniel does have, like, uh, what, three plus... Something like nine, nine value combos. So, I don't know. Maybe Daniel should just rip it. And, like have like an overbetting range here and overbet with some of his bluffs too. just rip it. Like, I think that makes more sense than betting 7,000 here personally. Yeah. I mean, definitely just to make it clear, like if Daniel has an overbetting range or a shoving range, like ace queen is <laughs> totally in that range. I mean, yeah, I think, I think it's a totally reasonable thing to do, especially where it's like, you know, the board just so heavily favors his range, you know? Yeah. Like on the flop, it, favors his range like kind of not slightly but like in like a a solid small way like a little a little less than moderately uh but then each each subsequent card more heavily favors his range so when you have this type of yeah when when this happens and the board heavily favors your range having an overbet sizing to use with you know nutted hands or second nutted hands like this and your misdraws makes a lot of sense. The quick question, which I, which I think he probably does, is like, just does he have enough combo draws that calls Brian Rass raise on the turn so that he can be balanced here when shoving? I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. It wasn't that big of a raise. Like, I think, yeah, one, Brian has like a lot of, or Daniel has a lot of combo draws. And two, like he'll probably call like some not just combo draws, you know, like, mm-hmm. like I don't. 
Oh, I don't I'm think confused. I in my mind Brian Ross made it like fifteen thousand, but no, 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 yeah. no, he raised. Yeah, yeah. So oh, so oh yeah, so yeah, of course. Yeah, so, Jungle has a ton of unpaired hands here. Again, like we said before, like yeah, too too many out. to shove all of them. So too, yeah, yeah can too he many have, to shove he, all of them. So he definitely can like can put in like a theoretically balanced jam here. Like I think that's like what theory would say you should mm-hmm. do for uh, sure. Uh, so the the real question now is is like okay that's definitely I think we agree that that that, that would be very good very likely better than seven thousand well probably the best course of action in theory so let's so but I like let's talk about seven thousand yeah this is an exploit this is so an exploit and it's so <laughs> awesome <laughs> so this is just like what, what is he exploiting exactly so yes to be clear I think he's just exploiting like that Brian is going to be raising too much here. Or that Brian is like, I think you could easily argue that Brian should never raise here. And I think Daniel is just saying, like, if I bet 7,000, Brian is just going to, like, raise me sometimes. And I'm just going to get, like, ridiculous value. Now, if Daniel knew that Brian would call with a hand like deuces when he shoved, like, if Daniel knew that, there is a better exploit, which is just to shove only value hands. But, yeah so the, the thing is is like basically what he's exploiting is maybe the fact that like brian is just like too value heavy on the like i don't know it feels like brian Rass is just like a really good player who's like going to be pretty balanced with his flop raising range and if anything like think about what happened in the turn like brian wanted to so protect that calling range that he picked the second best possible hand to do so like it, it, it feels like this is just not like it's definitely an exploit. I think we agree on that, but it feels like it, it, it's not really a great exploit. And obviously, like you know, we yeah, maybe that's actually that's actually an, that's an aspect of this that we haven't I think adequately talked about, mm-hmm. which is that do you think Daniel expects Brian to ever have deuces here? I mean, like obviously, like I don't think he's saying like. I don't think Jungle Man is ever going to say, like, Brian Raz could never have eights or deuces here. But when he makes this bet, he, he's probably thinking, like, you know, now that I'm thinking more about it, this the 7,000 makes a little more sense to me, As but it's more in the world where, like, Daniel is thinking, like, okay, I have a massive range advantage. And, like, maybe Brian just has, like, like, I can get some bluffs through here, you know, Brian's probably going to mostly fold, but he wasn't going to go ahead and bluff. Mm-hmm. And if I ever get called by like an ace or a worse queen that would have just checked back, like great. Yeah, I guess I guess the exploit that we haven't discussed that Daniel could be making is like, do you think Brian's just going to like over bluff this sizing? You know? Yeah, I don't think so. I think Daniel's yeah, probably I don't, more I don't thinking. Think so either. Yeah, I think he's more thinking like, man, I just I have this board so locked up, like my range is just crushing Brian's range at this point. Like, I I should just like when you when your range is crushing someone's range, and then then it makes sense to bet small because you can't bluff that much because you're just crushing their range, and so mm-hmm. yeah. If Daniel's just going to do this with like basically his whole range because he thinks that he's just crushing Brian, then like, yeah, I, I can get behind this. I would maybe even like choose a smaller sizing, 
but no, I think this this is reasonable since Daniel has plenty of unpaired hands, as we already discussed, and so he might even be getting like more than his fair share of bluffs through. But expecting that Brian basically always just has to fold. Now, so that makes that actually makes Brian's like decision more interesting. Yeah. Okay, so now going from Brian's perspective, like, now if I'm Brian holding deuces, and I think that Daniel is probably just going to be, like, betting 7,000 with most of his queens, then I'm more inclined to go for a value raise and go for, like, a raise fold here. Well... I mean, we'll get to, like, whether you should be folding after raising. Yeah. But that's I definitely my... think you should be raising to this sizing. For the same reason on the turn, it's like, this is just the second best possible hand you have. And when someone bets so small relative to the size of the pot, you're just leaving a lot of money on the table by well, not raising think... your best hands. That's not necessarily true. I think what makes it true in this case is that we've... We suspect that Daniel is not betting a polarized range. Mm-hmm. But if Daniel were betting a polarized range that included hands better than deuces and hands worse than deuces, or you know, like a range like that, then there wouldn't be a reason to raise. Yeah, but he even can't be betting a polarized hand. range when he's betting seven thousand into what twenty four thousand or something. Yeah, no, he's. I mean, he's probably yeah. not. You know, he's not. You know, I mean. This is a board that he knows favors his range so heavily. When you bet that small, it's not a polarized range. You're still like, you're still risking a lot by raising. Well, yeah, you're getting risk. Risk. You're you're risking getting re-raised with. A, so let, let's. I don't know. To me, the decision point isn't whether you should raise. It's like whether you like how much to raise to, and what you should do when facing a re-raise. Well, if you decide that you're going to fold, then it's risky. If you decide, well, you're gonna I raise... also think there's different options depending on the size you raise to. You know, I mean, so we agree this is the second best possible hand Brian can have here. You know, does he have enough combos of? Well, I mean, there's not really a difference between pocket twos and pocket eights. If you get no, if 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 Daniel three bets this river because he's There's never not. three Daniel's betting for value, yeah. So yeah. so the question is just like how how often how many combos do we need to have of full houses to defend with, or maybe even full houses aren't the best. Maybe maybe Queen X is maybe Queen X is a better bluff catcher, but does he arrive at the river with any Queen X? It seems unlikely. Well, let's break it down. So we determined that like queen nine suit is the worst thing he could have. And like, what, what is, what is he raising for value on the flop? That's queen X. That's not ace queen. Brian. Yeah. Like I'm not I, sure I Brian is raising ace queen for value on the flop. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm also, well, not it's, sure it's like Brian... a lot of things have to happen. You know, it's like oh, Brian yeah. has to not three bet that hand pre flop, which is only a minority of the time. Yeah. Basically, I think Brian like has very few, if any, queens. Agreed. There wouldn't be much sense of raising like queen nine through king queen on the flop, and ace queen I think is 
fairly likely to be three bet preflop and also not super likely to raise on the flop just for value. I think raising some top pair top kicker can be a good strategy on the flop. Like it's cause it, mm-hmm. for exactly this reason, it's nice to have like some Queens here and the best ones to raise for value are like the ones with top kicker. Yeah. You know, also for the secondary effect that they block aces, but yeah. So, so the, the short answer is like it's, Brian Rass arrives on the river with ace queen. Like, you know, he has, you know, a small fraction of a combo of ace queen here. Yeah. So the question is, yeah, when you get three bet on this river, I mean, like this you is, know, this, you know, there are certain hands that are going to raise for value. Like aces and ace queen are for sure. Almost almost always playing this way like in the world where like we're supposed to raise deuces yeah like aces and ace queen are almost always playing this way so you're up against those hands i think if daniel has air he's very likely to raise like an appropriate amount of it and so i think you're you're almost certainly like up against a polarized range against which like doesn't matter if you fold or call. And so the question is like, what does Daniel do with the rest of his range? And will Daniel wield that portion of the range to like exploit us? And like how much, like how many combos does Daniel have of hands like King, Queen, Queen, Jack, Queen, 10, Queen, nine. I, I Do you think Daniel could also have Queen, eight? No. You don't think Rather so? Plus one? I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's some super high-level board coverage shit where he opens it a small percentage of the time. But I don't. I I, I think he'd probably just choose other hands to have board coverage. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I, I can't imagine being anything more than like a very very negligible amount. Okay, but let's say that Daniel like continues with all. So here's sort of my thought experiment here. In the world where, like, Daniel... Man, I just don't think... Here, I'm... I've gone a little bit farther in my head than I've verbalized, so I'm going to try and catch... Catch Catch me up? Catch us up. Sure. (laughs) Or we'll catch the listeners up, because I'm sure you've thought about most of what I've thought about also, but... Basically, here's the way I see it. Daniel does not have, like, so many more combos of, like, king-queen... Queen Jack, Queen Ten, Queen Nine, then combos of Aces and Ace Queen and bluffs, and so like we already lose basically when Daniel shoves a polarized range, which is roughly like I think we've said like seventeen, like sixteen or seventeen combos, and so there's two queens on the board, so like let's say Daniel plays all King Queen this way, that's like what so four times two so eight combos of king queen eight combos of queen jack like i think a lot of queen 10 and queen nine gets checked on the flop like or not maybe not a lot of it but some so Mm -hmm. sure there are more combos of queen x than there are of like the combo that gets or the the range that just gets raised and we lose this thirty-eight thousand that Brian decided to put in the pot. 
Uh, I don't. That might be the first reveal of that. Brian does eventually raise thirty-eight thousand. But that's assuming that Daniel always calls with like Queen X, and also never turns it into like an exploitative bluff raise. So if I'm, yeah, I, I, I until you mention that, I didn't even think about that fact. But yeah, I guess with the small amount of combos of those Queen X that do make the river, like it's you know it's not out of the realm of possibility that he turns that into a bluff raise on the river. So basically, like I think for Brian, like. There are a couple of best-case scenarios where I think this raise makes sense. One of those scenarios is where basically every time Daniel has a worse Queen X, he calls and never like turns any never turns any of those into a bluff. And also bluffs with only an appropriate amount of bluffs relative like, to value combos. And so we get a certain amount of folds. That, or, or it's not so much that we want the fold, but we don't want to have to like fold to over bluffing so the one the one best situation is like all the queens call and we just fold uh and we don't get over bluffed the other really great scenario is like if daniel just like goes crazy and like totally over bluffs and brian calls well what if daniel raises kind of a balance range where does it make sense to put pocket twos or is there really just no well if if daniel is a randomizer you know if daniel raises a balance range then it doesn't really matter what we do with twos. But what matters more, even if we assume Daniel's just going to raise a balance range, we still, for this raise to, to make sense, have to assume that Daniel is going to call all the worst queens. And I don't think that's, like, obvious. Like, you no, don't think Daniel yeah, could ever fold, like, king-queen here to a raise? Hey, man, he folded a... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm one of our... he, fo- he folded. He folded trips to like a one fifth pot bet in a tournament before. So, and it's not like, like Daniel knows he's not supposed to call all his bluff catchers. Fortunately, he has enough of like a value range to defend that. Like, basically, what I'm getting at here is like, I don't think Brian should be raising. Do this. Yeah, and that's the thing that I was thinking about the whole time when I saw this hand and thought about it. It's like, you know, it's it's one of these weird things where it's, you know, obviously Brian is a much better player than either of us, but like, you know, I, I think there's a good case for Brian should have raised the turn and Brian shouldn't have raised the river, which seems kind of crazy because it's like not not that much has changed. But this just shows you how like when you really, really break down each card and, and how like the range advances changes, like you could come up with conclusions like this. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think this like illustrates like one, why raising the turn with deuces makes a lot of sense to me. Cause you do get spots like this where you're sort of handcuffed on the river and you've probably passed up on a lot of value. I feel like I had more to say about that, but I can't remember what it was. So anyway, yeah. So Brian did raise to 38,000, I think Daniel's decision here is pretty trivial. Just shove for value. Uh, you could choose a smaller sizing. I, I'm just going to double check. I think he does shove. Yeah, yeah. But you shouldn't really have a raised folding range here if if you're Daniel. You know, unless you like, you could, but like I, I think it would just be better to shove. And yeah, Daniel does shove. So now you're Brian. You have a tough decision, like. But really, you just have a bluff catcher. We've already kind of talked about it. Like, I don't think there's 
a huge amount of money to be like made or lost here. I would probably call, I think, because I well, think it would be more is... likely that Daniel like. I haven't played with Daniel that much. My my thought against like a really good professional who's maybe trying to exploit me is that this is like a spot where you're more likely to get overbluffed than underbluffed. But maybe they have history of yeah. years of playing in high stakes cash games and then it's the next level, you know, like yeah. whatever it is, I think it's like if there's exploiting going on, which there clearly is, it's, they're not big exploits. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think the important thing is the decision of whether to call, honestly, from Brian Rouse is a little bit trivial. And when I said Brian looks like a boss, I was kind of early in the episode, I was like thinking of the river actually where Brian Rass like folds, <laughs> you know, an abs- a, a hand of absolute strength. That's very good. Second best possible hand he could have here. But I just want to make clear to the listeners that like, you know, Brian Rast has a bluff catcher here. I mean, his whole range is bluff catchers actually, you know, uh, yeah. except, you know, this incredibly negligible amount of, you know, aces that he has. So, Brian will have some tiny fraction of a combo of queen X that will make for a better bluff catcher than twos or eights. But honestly, like, you know, he should, you know, you do the, what Brian should be doing here is doing the math on how many combos he needs to defend here uh, against a balanced raising range. And then like, whether you pick all of your combos of deuces and maybe like a small amount of combos of eights or well, whatever it is, like it, it doesn't matter which one you pick, you know? So this is what happens when you play against a, an elite player that puts you in this spot with a bluff catcher and, you know, blockers aren't at play. You're kind of just in a shitty spot and you just have to like arbitrarily choose which hands make up your bluff catching range. Yeah. And, and the, the reason I say that Brian should probably call is that, I don't think it's impossible for Brian to be bluff raising the first bet that is. And so to defend enough, he probably has to call most of his deuces and eights. That sounds about right. I, I, what intuitively felt right to me is like a little bit more than half of his combined deuces and eights, but yeah. Yeah. And so like, should Brian always call with deuces? No. But I think most of the time he, he he should, and so like round up, like he should probably call. But like, yeah, he it doesn't. The point is like, yeah, the expected value of both should be about like should be the same mm-hmm. in theory, and so it doesn't really matter. He does fold, looks good for TV, but yeah, I I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the way Brian played this hand after discussing it, and you know, hopefully yeah. we'll get a chance to talk with him about it at some point, or maybe he has written about it somewhere or discussed it. I kind of doubt it because like, I don't think he's giving like so much away, but like it's really, it doesn't have very much incentive to talk about it. Uh, but yeah, I really like basically everything Daniel did. I'd like to think I would have played it the same. I probably would have like bet pot on the, you know, river and just gotten flatted. And like, so I miss, <laughs> I guess a little bit of value. I also don't think, I don't think I would have thought through the turn the same way as it looks like Daniel did. I probably would have got caught up with like runner runnering basically the nuts and <laughs> wanted to put some more money in the pot. But I like the way Daniel played it a lot. Yeah. 
I do think I would have made a similar play on the turn in this type of game. I think up to the river, I, w- I would have played it the same way. But yeah, Daniel Cates, the jungle man. Yeah, cool hand. Yeah, and I guess from Daniel's perspective, like the only alternative course of action would have been to just jam the river. But I just don't think like, and I think we've sort of covered this already though, that like from Dan's perspective, there's just no, Brian might easily have like zero hands at whatever call. So yeah, cool. Uh, 